0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about
1: Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. All right, good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 33, verse 12 through 34, verse 9. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Park Church. It's good to see you all.
0: My name is Neil on staff here, and we have, uh, we normally have a lot of guests with us. We have particularly more this morning. Uh, because we're doing baptisms uh, right after the, the sermon. And so just a, a quick note for parents uh, with kids down in, par, in Park Kids right now. If you guys want, when I'm praying, um, you should all be praying as well. But you can also go down and get your kids um, right as I'm closing out the sermon um, and finish it up with a prayer. I, I think there's just so much power in testimony. And we, we always have our folks share um, a little bit of their journey with Christ and how they came to faith in Him and why they want to be baptized Um, So if that's something you want your kids to be a part of, uh, they're welcome to. Um, So I just encourage you to go down uh, toward the end of the sermon. I guess I would be amiss if I didn't say today is also apparently my birthday. So (laughs) I try to forget, I usually do, but my wife lovingly reminds me regularly. Um, All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Um, We thank you that that you're kind to us. Thank you that you've revealed the glory of the Father in, in, in all the fullness. And, and we're able to, to interact with you, to know you, to behold your face, to have your spirit come and dwell within us. Uh, so even now, we ask that you would, you would open blind eyes uh, to cause us to see the places where, where our hearts have fallen asleep, we've grown lax, we don't we're not concerned with your presence. That may you awaken us, may you, you cause us to see again the need that we have to be your people, we must have the presence of our God. And without without that, we are nothing. So we invite you in, you're here already, but we ask that you would manifest yourself, you would, you would show up in unique ways, that we would we would know that you are good. That we would know you are with us. That you're for us, and that you are indeed our God. So please come now. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you respond to failure? Um, I remember quite vividly my first AAU basketball game. I was very excited. I was maybe eight or nine. You know I had long anticipated the day that I could be out on the court, part of an AAU team, uh, that the countless dollars that my parents had spent on basketball camp and training and the shot doctor anyone from the Midwest. remember the shot doctor? Um, I went to that. Uh, apparently, I was a thing. And here I was. finally, first game. I didn't start. But I went in, eventually went in, was in the game, and, and finally got the pass. I was wide open for the layup. There was the hoop right in front of me, something I had done thousands of times before. The shot doctor had shown me, like, the perfect form, inside foot, plant, go up with the opposite hand, and I shot it too hard. Didn't even hit the rim, just, like, bounced off the, the backboard. Terrified. But then I looked around and recognized there are a lot of confused faces right now. Oh, I just shot on the wrong end of the court. So then I was thankful that it didn't go in. <laughs> so I stood there dumbfounded for a little bit, and I was like, oh, I hope no one saw that. I was like, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody saw that. <laughs> Utterly mortified. How do we respond to failure? Now, some seem a little more trivial. When I was nine, that had not seemed trivial. It's like I got to find some way to not talk about this on the way home, like maybe mom and dad were getting popcorn or in the restroom or something, like this cannot be seen. Uh, but th- the reality is we all find ways to respond to our failure. We, we wanna keep it at bay, we wanna hide it, tuck it into the shadows. We wanna overcompensate, like find ways to, to self-improve and, and kind of dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, what is there within me that I can, I can make up for this loss, this mistake, this sin, this brokenness? How do we respond to failure? Obviously, many times, it's, it's much heavier than missing a, a shot on the rung of the basketball court when you're nine. Um, a lot of times, it's patterns of, of deep sin that we feel stuck within. We feel that the failure just comes again and again and again. Maybe it's brokenness and failure in a relationship, a marriage in, in, uh, with your parents or with your children, uh, a deep, a close friendship that has fallen apart. And maybe it's been with work, Uh, Maybe it wasn't even uh, something you you did wrong, It just by circumstances and and the the way that things got shifted around in the company, you you failed to get the promotion or keep your job or you you haven't been able to to get the job that you've wanted, the career that you've longed for. Maybe it's health. There's been failure in in health again and again and again. Maybe it's a, a desire for marriage, desire for children. You feel the sense of failure. Sometimes it's, it's our own sins, sometimes just the brokenness of this world, but, but we feel ourselves to not be enough. Maybe we don't feel smart enough, strong enough, witty enough, moral enough, faithful enough, consistent enough, loving enough, selfless enough. Like we just don't feel like we're enough. We have to figure out what, what do we do with that? we respond somehow to that failure? And of course, other times it's not our failure, it's the failure of others toward us. Uh, Maybe people failed to to love you well, to protect you, to image God faithfully, uh, to give you the kind of of home that that really you should have grown up in or or the kind of relationship that you're in right now. You feel the failures of others, and again, we respond to that somehow. What do we do with that? Well, It's it's, it's good to, to note what our broader society tells us is how we should respond to failure. Even if, if we, we kind of have good theology around this or we have a good understanding intellectually, it's just kind of in the ether, just kind of in wherever we go, whether, whether it's work culture or a conference, conference you attend or friendship and relationship where people are giving you advice, it usually goes something like, hey, you actually have what it takes If you just kind of dig a little bit deeper, you kind of reflect a little bit longer, if you try a little bit harder, you can draw something out. Sure, leverage community and some good new ideas and uh, try some new self-help strategies, but uh, most fundamentally, you have what it takes. It's there. This is the, the lie that our culture would have us believe, that we can just dig down a little further and move forward. What's fascinating is that the Israelites were offered much the same option. You know, if you remember from last week, um, when Gary preached on uh, the, the creation of the golden calf, you know, creating these, these idols, uh, they, they, they felt like Moses had failed them. It's like, hey, Moses failed us. He's, he's been gone for too long. We, we need a leader. We need something embodied. We need something to hold on to. He's been gone. What, what does this mean for us? We feel like we're just kind of like floating out here. Let's, let's dig down, find the resources that we have, and then create something to establish and root our confidence upon and out came the golden calf. Well, that failure was met with the judgment of God. Remember, he, he, he uh, swept through the camp and uh, got rid of all the unrepentant, and only the humble, only the repentant were saved from that. And now, we're, we're now stepping into the next part of the story. And so if you've closed your Bible, I encourage you to pop it back open to Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse one. This is now the next step. There's been a failure. You guys failed. You ran after other gods. You did not trust me and the leader that I appointed over you. And now the Lord comes to Moses and says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But catch this. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. But I will not go up among you. So, so God, in, in essence, is saying, all right, Moses, time to, time to move on from Sinai. Like You're not designed to, to stay at Mount Sinai. You guys are designed to go to the promised land. That's, that's the whole exodus um, end goal and purpose is to get to that place where God is going to dwell with his people in, in perfect unity. And you're going to have the blessings, and I'm, I'm calling you to continue to go and pursue that promised land. But my presence will not be with you anymore. So you get the stuff, you get the pursuit of the good life, you get the the running after this promised land, but I will not be with you. I I wonder how many of us would would prefer that. I wonder how many of us right now, again, even if we don't articulate this with our words, with our lives, it, it shows very clearly, yeah, that's actually what I want. I actually want the good life. I actually want the promised land. I actually want the stuff of God. And I I really am not all that concerned with his presence. I just want the thing that I feel that I'm lacking right now. And so how would you respond? You have to begin asking yourself right now, how would you respond if if God came up and said, okay, time to get up and go, go pursue the thing. I'm even going to send an angel before you And you're going to wipe out the enemies and you're going to have this new life in this promised land with all the the stuff that I've given, but I will not be with you. My presence will be absent. When we respond to life this way and say, yeah, that's actually okay with me, or or I'm just kind of indifferent, it's like, hey, that'd be nice, it'd be nice to experience the presence of God, Uh, but I don't need that. Really, I just need the thing. I need the relationship. I, I need uh, the friendship, the wife, the husband, the, the family, the job, the fulfillment, the satisfaction. I, I need this, this chaos in my life to, to finally be put down. I, I need uh, my, my marriage to finally be a place of peace and, and, and rest. I, I, I need my, my career to be fulfilling. I feel like I'm doing something meaningful in my life. These are the things that I want to change. I want the presence of those things to be different. And the presence of God will That'd be nice, but I don't think I need that. What I really need is that thing. This is so true for my life often. I I find myself just drifting toward envisioning uh, if this could just be solved, if I could just deal with my sin over here, if my, my controlling tendencies and my impatience and the anger that I see come out, if I could just repent of that fully and, 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 and kind of move toward Christ and see that manifest itself in relationships, then I would be okay. Then I would be okay. And, and all the while I'm forgetting that I actually need the presence of God. Or I think, man, if, if the, the conflict, the tension that I, that I have you know, still in relationships or with marriage or trying to figure out what it looks like to be a dad and seeing just how I, I fall short again and again, if, if I could just fix this and make that better and it kind of have the relationships the way that I want, then I would be okay And not recognizing what I really need is the presence of God. And so how often are our hearts going that direction? Give me the stuff of God, never mind the presence of God. Uh, one author that has been an Australian pastor been really formative for us, especially lately as a leadership team, um, a guy by the name of Mark Sayers. If you guys can listen to anything or read anything by Mark Sayers, do it. Uh, in fact, if you're looking for a new podcast, This Cultural Moment, Mark Sayers and a Pastor, I See a Few Smiles and Air High Fives, those of which have already found this cultural for a moment. Uh, John Mark Comer, pastor in Portland, and Mark Sayers, pastor in Melbourne, Australia, uh, they basically just talk about Western society and culture and how to make sense of that where we are today. So highly recommend it. That was for free, total aside. Mark Sayers, in uh, a number of different talks, but also his book, Reappearing Church, he talks about this idea of, of progress without presence. That we are a society that, by and large, Western culture is marked by this desire to progress, to move into a state of of constant progress, to to move forward, kind of how we ever want to customize and define what that looks like, but we don't feel like we need the presence of God. In fact, we would prefer oftentimes not to have the presence of God because He tends to meddle, tends to convict and push and challenge and, and call us into something different and better. So we want progress, but we don't really want the presence of God. We are quite fine without it. In reality, this is the greatest form of judgment. The greatest form of judgment is for God to to give us the stuff, to give us the enjoyment, to give us a sense of satisfaction, kind of like a limited happiness and joy but for him to be absent from our lives, from our community, from our church. So things feel like they're going quite well, perhaps. Maybe even this morning you come in, it's like, actually, I feel like I've got a decent handle on life. Sure, there are a few areas, a few pockets that I kind of need to work on and and improve on a little bit, but for the most part, I, I think things are all right. And all the while, we don't care that we don't experience the presence of God. Or we do feel the absence, we, we do feel the, uh, the aching and the longing for something to be different, but we think we just need to secure that, and we don't concern ourselves with actively seeking out the presence of God. And so where in our lives? Are we okay with, or are we pursuing progress without presence? This is the greatest form of judgment. Well, what, what is this? How do we describe that? Well, it's certainly not Christianity. It's certainly not following Jesus. And at some point, if we see that rising up in our hearts again and again and again, that we, we just want the stuff of creation, we want life to look a certain way, and we're, we're laying down our lives and making sacrifices to attain that, and we don't desire God, then we need to begin to ask ourselves what, what it is, is that we're actually seeking. What, what are we worshiping at that point? Because it isn't Jesus. It isn't the God who created us and saved us. It's clearly something else or some set of other things or people or dynamics in our life looking a certain way. Because in salvation, what God does is he gives us himself. In salvation, we get God. And so we must understand the need for God's presence. Well, it seems like the, the Israelites understood this. Look at look me in verse 4. Chapter 33, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. So immediately, once Moses relays this message, they recognize it as disaster. Do we recognize it as disaster, that God would be absent from us? And they mourned. They were willing to be honest and name that reality and sit in that and say, this is not okay. Things must be different. And no one put on his ornaments. As a sign of, of, of saying, we, we don't want to move forward. We don't want to have a, a sense of celebration or being okay without the presence of God. And then verse 5. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And so they responded with this repentance, the shedding of anything that, that would connect back to uh, the, their building of the, of the idol, of the golden calf, you know, their, their ornaments, they use their jewelry, their gold to create that. And so any, anything that would connect back to it, they're willing to shed from their lives. And as a sign of saying, we, we do not want to move forward without the presence of God. In fact, we cannot move forward without it. And then look with me in verse 7. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door and so here we, we don't have the tabernacle anymore we have this separate tent of meeting that's outside the camp god's presence has moved outside moses was still able to go so a sign of his grace and his mercy moses still able to go and mediate and 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 spend time hearing from god and the people are, are they're standing at the edge of their tent just anticipating like what is he going to do with us what, what, what's going to be the outcome here like is there any hope for us to move forward? We, 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 we long for his presence. We want to find out what is going to happen. And so maybe you find yourself more in that place this morning. We were like, no, I, I actually don't want progress without presence. And in fact, I, I feel the absence and I, I ache for God to, to show up in some way. I so long for him to, to show his nearness, to show his face, to show his kindness, to know that he is my God, that he is for my good, that he has drawn near to me. These people are hungry for the presence of God, and this is the place that we need to be. Hungry for, have an appetite for, the drawing near of God, for this is the most needful thing. Then it turns uh, more fully to Moses and his interaction with God following uh, these judging words of God. Look with me in verse 12. We'll see that Moses carries much of the same angst um, that, the, that the people do. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So notice how Moses prays. He feels the desperation. He feels the, the need and the absence and he longs for God to be present among him and his people. And so he begins to plead the character and the promises of God. It's like, God, you've, you've said you, you show favor to me. You've said that you're actually gonna lead your people out of Egypt and then send us to the promised land, going with us, being our, uh, being our God so that you may dwell among us and we, we may be your people. And now you're saying you're not gonna go with us. God, I... I'm holding up your words here. I'm holding up your promises of what you've said. I'm holding up who I know you to be, but then also the reality that I'm experiencing right now, and there seems to be a gap. There seems to be an experiential difference here, and I want this to be true in what I actually live and experience and how this can inform our prayers, pleading the promises and the character of God. What do you know to be true of who God is? What do you know of his promises, his words that he's declared for us as his children, those he has brought in, brought near because of Jesus? And you say, I, okay, that, that's true, but is it? Because I, I'm not feeling that. I'm not experiencing that. I, I, don't, I don't think that's actually true because I feel his absence. And so, so often we can just say, well, if those promises are true, then at some point it's just going to show up. And here we have Moses interceding on behalf of the people and for himself And say, God, this is true. You have said this. Thus saith the Lord. This is your promise. You're a faithful God. How do I make sense of this? I am not experiencing the fullness of what you've promised. And so may we pray this way. Or we feel the absence of God. We don't experience his promises in that reality. May we hold up, God, I, I know that you've declared me to be righteous and pure. You've brought me near as a father to a son or a daughter. You've given me Jesus and your Holy Spirit. I, I know these things to be true. Oh, make them true in my experience. Oh, bring these promises to bear right now. Right now. I, I need this. I need you to show up. I need your words to be true and what I experience. Well, look how God responds. It's actually quite powerful. Look in verse 14. And he, Yahweh said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, another way to translate this, and I will dispel your anxiety. I will take all of your angst and your fear and your worries and your stress, all the restlessness that you feel I will dispel that from you. I will give you true rest as my people. What a powerful word for us. that that We know that that God responds when we plead, when we ask him, he will give an experience of his presence which will give us rest, which will quell anxiety and give us true peace in him. Well, I think we can relate to Moses now. Uh, He doesn't seem to be quite convinced. He's like, that. Okay, I still believe that's true, but I'm not really sure. Like, I'm not really confident. I need a little bit more assurance. I need something else. Uh, it doesn't seem to be true for me. So even, even though we have this bold declaration of Yahweh answering exactly what Moses is pleading, Moses responds at verse 15. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. It's like Moses, he he just said, hey, okay, I'm gonna go with you. Like I, I I just agreed. Yes, you interceded, you pled my promises and my character, I will go with you, I will give you rest. And yet it still hadn't settled in for Moses. So we begin to see the persistence of Moses in prayer, which again can instruct us in our prayers, in our longings. You know, where, where we sit right now this morning, it's like I, I don't f- feel God's presence. I don't feel him to be near. I, I know he's my God, I, I know he saved me, but, but I don't feel his spirit dwelling within me. I don't, I don't feel that like we're actually his people and he's actually showing up in a way that, that gives me confidence, gives me strength, gives me joy and rest. Well, like Moses, we're able to to persist in this, to persist in prayer and continue to plead and ask again and again. And In verse 17, the Lord responds again. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. It's like, okay, surely, now, Moses is gonna be like convinced. He said, I will do it. I will do it, the very thing. The very thing you ask, I will do it. Verse 18, Moses said, well, please show me your glory. He's not quite convinced. It's a bold ask. I will say, Please show me your glory. I need something more to establish my confidence. Look how the, the Lord responds. And he said, I will make all my goodness, the fullness of who I am, pass before you and will proclaim, my name, proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So here God says, okay, I, I'm not going to answer that because I love you, and I don't want to kill you. Because if, if I showed up in all my fullness and you saw my face, you would die on the spot. No no human, no creation of the Creator can actually contain that and and make sense of that and be in the presence of that without falling on the ground. So he says, but I will have my glory. I'll have the fullness of my character pass by as you're tucked away in the cleft of a rock, covered by my hand, and then after I pass by, there's going to be like this afterglow of my glory. And then that you can just kind of have like an experience of, kind of like sense a little bit. So he answers the prayer, but only as much as Moses can actually handle. And then you see, starting verse 1 and 34, and this actually takes place. The Lord said to Moses, "'Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke.'" He's, he's redoing the covenant. "'Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain.'" Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose up early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, hear this, middle of verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, "If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in our midst, go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance." So here we have God responding as much as he can and giving of himself as much as is possible for for Moses to, to handle, a demonstration of his glory, a declaration of the fullness of his character, complete grace and mercy and goodness and kindness, and also perfect justice and righteousness and holiness, and the two coming together fully in God, in Yahweh, in the one who had made them and saved them. And even then, as we saw in, in, in verses 8 and 9, Moses is still like, all right, well, if I found favor, like, still, please go with us. And so that, that gives us the freedom to, to continue to persist in prayer, even as God shows his glory, shows himself to us, even if we've had past experiences, right, like Moses had plenty of these, Started with the burning bush and the mid iterations sense, he's had experiences of God's presence. He's like, I, I need it right now, right now, like this issue, this task, this tension, this difficulty, this heartache, this loss, this chaos, this is where I need your presence to show up and to be absolutely confident. It's true. Well, it is sufficient for what Moses needs. Jump down. You see in in verses 10 through um, 28 is the the redoing of the covenant. It's kind of a shorthand of what came before. And then in verse 29 of chapter 34, it says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the... That the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai, and when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, No one really knows what's going on with Moses' face in this situation. Um, Seems to be like more than a sunburn and less than like lightning bolts coming out of his face. Somewhere in in that range. Scholars are really, really not clear. But it it freaked the people out. He comes down, has this experience of God's glory passing by him. And now his face is just radiant. Just like beams of light coming out of it. People are like, that. No, like I, I don't know what that is, but it terrifies me. So, like, cover that up. Um, okay, I guess when you're speaking the words of the Lord, you can take it off. That that's fine. That needs to be done. But just like keep that thing covered while you're around us. Uh, that is that is not healthy for our uh, friendship. Um, so they that's Moses in his interaction with God. It's this veiled glory. It's a genuine experience of it, but it's the afterglow of God passing by that Moses kind of gets a sense of. It's, it's a veiled experience for the people. It's real, it's genuine, it's enough for them to be sustained. Oh, but it's, it's really small by comparison. And this is where I want us to see the new covenant that we have in Jesus and how much better it is. So if you would flip over to the New Testament, uh, 2 Corinthians Past the Gospels, then a few more in. 2 Corinthians, starting, uh, we'll be in chapter 3, starting verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, speaking of the, the covenant with Moses, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who had put up a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet, or yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Verse 16 But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into one, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is what we must begin to see. There is no true progress without presence if there are places in our life where, like, I'm actually okay with that, I would prefer that, I would actually want God to just kind of, like, stop meddling with my life, and so I can kind of get the the things that I enjoy, the good life as I define it, then we need conviction. We need awareness. We need to be awakened to our our genuine need, our genuine hunger for the presence of God, but we've so glutted ourselves with other, other lesser things that we don't feel that hunger anymore. We need sweet conviction by the Spirit to begin to have those appetites be awakened. And may that be the case for us this morning. But where you feel the absence and you long for the presence of God, you long to experience him, see that we have the Lord who is the Spirit, who has now come. We don't have this veiled glory. We don't have this distant mediator who goes off to a tent outside the camp and we're kind of anticipating what's gonna happen. We don't really know. We're we're kind of on the edge of our our seats a little bit. We're gonna find out what is going to be done with us okay, good, now we get this kind of veiled glory to carry us a little bit further. We don't have that anymore. What we have is Jesus. What we have is the mediator who has gone before the Father, who has borne all of our unrighteousness, who's borne all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our failure. And he's gone with utter boldness because of his own righteousness to the throne of grace of the Father. And he said, all of these are mine. My righteousness is now theirs. I take upon myself all of their shame, all of their failure, all of their sin, all the ways that they've rebelled against me and created false gods, created false idols, run after progress without presence. I've borne all of that. And now in Christ, made righteous, we go boldly before the Father in the Spirit. Because when Jesus left to go sit down at the right hand of the Father, he did not leave us alone, but he gave us his very Spirit to dwell in us to testify to our adoption as sons and daughters of the God who is, to remind us of the reality of, of who we are, of that we are love, that God has drawn near to us, not because of anything in ourselves, but because he is kind. He is the God who is merciful and gracious and good and has satisfied his justice and his holiness through Jesus. This is what we have. We have Jesus and we have his spirit living Among us. And so may we behold this God, this reality, turning again and again and again, persisting in prayer again and again and again, pleading the promises of God again and again and again. We feel the absence. We go back into the throne of grace. When we feel the chaos, we feel the sin, we fall back in the same pattern. We go back to the throne of grace. We again plead his promises and say, oh God, manifest your presence. Show up. I need you. And we don't feel it. He declares it. We don't feel it. We go back and we say, please give me an experience of your glory. Help me to see Jesus. Help me to know that you are with me and that you are for me. And we go back again and again and again. This is what is available to us. And Christian, brother, sister, take full advantage Take full advantage that we don't need to sit idle and just kind of say, ah, things are are broken and difficult and I, I feel my failure and it's hard. And I guess these things are true, but I don't feel them to be true. And we can just plant ourselves here instead of saying, I have access to the throne of grace. I have the very spirit of God within me. I can plead. He actually pleads on my behalf. And we can do this over and over and over again, seeking to behold the face of Jesus Christ, which is the fullness of his glory. And so may we be a people marked by his presence and where we feel his absence, where we're marked right now by his, by his absence, may we actively and tirelessly and persistently seek to see him, to behold him, to know him, to know that he is present. Let's pray. Spirit, we know that that you are here. Uh, We know that you're near. Man, it it just feels like such a a heady knowing a lot of times. It's such a a cognitive, cerebral thing. And what, what we really long for, what we really need, God, is an experience of your presence. For you to come and to show up amongst your people individually, in marriages, in homes, in friendships. In workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in those moments we're alone, we need you to show up. And so we plead with you. We, we, we plead the, the work of Jesus on our behalf. He is our mediator. He is our, our intercessor who's gone before us and, and has given us his spirit to testify. And so may we experience more of that. May we taste and see that you are good, that you are near, that you are with us, that you are for us. We need you. So please come. for pray this in Jesus' name, amen.